I want to welcome everybody back in from the coffee shop, from the lobby, from wherever you happen to be. If you can hear my voice right now, welcome. Come on back into the sanctuary. We are going to get into the Word of God this evening. Before we do that, however, I just want to cover a couple housekeeping items real quick before we get into everything. Uh, First of all, I have a couple of words of welcome. Pastor Craig is not able to be here this evening. He is in Colorado helping with a, a Bible pastor's conference there. So he sends his greetings, he sends his love, and he's doing the work of God right now. So uh, he'll be back with us on Sunday morning though. So Pastor Craig says hello and welcome. Also, I have a friend. His name is Agre. He's from Uganda and you do not know him, but he also says welcome, and, and he wanted to greet you all tonight because uh, my friend Agre, he works with an organization called Compassion. Uh, have, has anyone heard of Compassion? Uh, they, they help in many different countries around the world, specifically with kids, and uh, he works for Compassion and helps Compassion connect with kids in the area of Uganda that he lives to, to get money for school and for food and things that they need. And so he has a really big passion and heart for what God is doing in the next generation, which is what we're talking about tonight. And so he said, hey, my heart is with you. I'm connected to that. He wanted to say welcome and and greet y'all from there. So those two little words of welcome for you. And another thing I want to, to briefly mention, and we just want to pray over together as a congregation before we get into the word tonight, is many of you know uh, Brother Larry Schaefe, uh, and many of you maybe have heard that he had a heart attack this afternoon. And uh, so I, I got texts and calls from many of you, and, and I know a lot of people were connected and worried, uh, concerned about him and praying for him. And so I just wanted to give an update. Uh, we've heard from Patricia that he went into surgery uh, there was 100% blockage, but they were able to take care of it, and he's in recovery now, and he's doing well. So, yeah, amen. We just want to give thanks to the Lord for that. Uh, we're so appreciative of Larry and Patricia. They're amazing, amazing people. Not that if someone's not amazing that they deserve to have a heart attack, but they're amazing people, and uh, we're just so thankful that the Lord is taking care of him, watching over him, and has got this situation under control. So I want to I wanna just speak a, a word of blessing over them. And as we do that as well, I'm just going to pray over a lot of things real quick before we get started. I'm going to pray over the word, pray over Brother Larry and Patricia. And another thing that I specifically wanted to pray about tonight, just before we get into anything else, is I could sense, even in the time of worship, that, man, the Spirit of the Lord is here. He's with us. And that's true every single time we get together. We know that from the Word. We know that God is with us. I mean, that's the name that he gave himself, Emmanuel, God with us. We know that God is with us. But I could just sense in worship that this same, that there's a, a story in um, a couple of the Gospels about a woman with an issue of bleeding who knew that if she could just come and touch Jesus's robes, just touch his clothes, that he could, she could be healed. And she didn't, she didn't have these big requests. She didn't say like, oh, well, I'm going to go to church this many times a year, and I'm going to fulfill this and that. She just knew that where God was, there was power. 
And she just had a passion to get through the crowds that were surrounding him to just go and touch a piece of his clothes so that she could receive the power that God has for her. And I just get a sense tonight that there are people here tonight, maybe with issues, problems, everybody's got those, but I just sense a tenacity in the spirit from people uh, who just want to reach out and get a touch from the Lord. If that's you tonight, just raise your hand. If you just want a touch from the Lord, if you just want a piece of what God has to offer, then I'm going to pray and believe with us, man, God has something to say to you tonight. Amen. God has something to say, something to do in your life tonight, and all it takes, all it takes is just a little, a little bitty touch uh, on his garments, and the Lord can do powerful, miraculous things. And so God wants to do something tonight with that spirit of tenacity that's here. So let's just pray and get into this. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you that where your spirit is, there is freedom. And Lord, I speak your freedom tonight. Lord, whatever issue anyone is coming in with, whatever problems, whatever burdens from this world we're carrying with us tonight, God, we lay that at your feet right now. We set that thing at your feet, God, because... Our problems are not what define us. Our issues, our past, the lies that have been spoken over us from the enemy, Lord, those things are not what define us, but we are defined by you, Jesus, your blood, your sacrifice for us, your goodness, your righteousness. God, those are the things that define us. And so, Lord, we lay down the troubles that we came in with tonight, and we are reaching out to you. So as we reach to you, Holy Spirit, I thank you for taking this word that I share tonight and, Lord, translating it into each and every one of our hearts into something that you can work with. Lord, thank you that, that your word has power. Your word can divide and, and bring truth into our hearts, Lord. And so I thank you for, for bringing truth tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what we're talking about tonight, we're still in the series Life 1.0. As you know, uh, we've been getting really practical, very, very practical in Life 1.0. We've talked about money, about blended families, about media. And so tonight, what we're talking about is the next generation. That's the title. That's what Pastor Craig told me uh, over a month ago. He said, Mike, I want, want you to talk about the next generation and so I've been praying about that. I've been seeking the Lord about it. And, and I want to talk about the next generation, but not just the next generation. I want to talk about generational unity tonight. Okay, so if you, if you believe that you are old tonight, okay, this message is still about you. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands, okay? And I'm not looking at anyone in particular, okay? But uh, if you... <laughs> Thank you for your honesty, Brother Billy. Uh, so if you feel like you're old tonight, I'm still preaching to you. And if you're young tonight, I'm still preaching to you, okay? Youth, I just want to say, can we give it up for the youth real quick? Thank you so much. We appreciate y'all being here and your presence. You bring, you bring an amazing aspect to this church. And I'm, I'm being serious right now that you being here carries a lot of weight. There's a lot of purpose and there's a lot of goodness that you bring to this church. I don't care what anybody else says about you, okay? <laughs> I'm getting amens, though, so they agree with me. But truly, 
God, God wants to do a lot of amazing things in this church, and he wants to use this church to serve a lot of people, and you're helping with that. And I want to say I appreciate y'all. Okay? Thank you. Y'all are amazing. Okay, so anyway, and y- y'all are cool too. Okay? I-, I realize that we've got some youth and teenagers on this side as well. Okay? So I'm just, I'm going to generalize a lot. Okay? I'm going to generalize and say that y'all are the old people, and I'm going to generalize and say that y'all are the young people. But please forgive me for doing that. Okay? Because we've got the youngest one in the building right over here. So forgive me for that, um, and also just I want to say too before I begin anything else that there are going to be some generalizations. Whenever we talk about the next generation or generations in general, it, it's a general topic, and so I know that there are a lot of people here tonight at different stages of life, and a lot of people tuning in online who are at different stages. Maybe in some areas you're the old person, in other areas you're the young person. And so this isn't to blanket anything, but this is to talk about what God wants to do with generations in the church. And so I'm going to use some generalizations, but just be able to identify where you might be the young person, might be the old person. Uh, because I'll tell you right now, my qualifications to preach this message tonight is that I just found out a few months ago that I'm old. It was only a few months ago. It's, it's a crazy thing to, to hear that. Uh, and I know some of you are shaking your head no because I'm the young one. So that's, that's where my qualification is. I am the young one and the old one at the same time. Okay, I, um, just a few months ago, someone who was 21 years of age told me that I was old. 21. I thought I was still cool. Thought I could hang, thought I was one of them, but I realized that I'm old. So anyway, I'm old, I'm young, and I want to talk about generations tonight, okay? Because I believe that the work that God wants to do, true kingdom of heaven, Christ work, it doesn't have to be done by old people. I'm generalizing. And it doesn't just have to be done by young people. I'm generalizing again. But God wants to use everything that people from different generations have to offer. He wants to orchestrate that into one powerful work that could not be done without the other. Okay, we need one another tonight. We need one another for the kingdom work that he wants to do. And God speaks a blessing into unity. So we're talking about generational unity. I want to start here in Psalm 133. Verse 1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. When brothers dwell in unity. Later on, it says that that's where the Lord has commanded a blessing, life forevermore. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. A lot of times whenever we read verses like that or read other scriptures in the Bible that talk about unity, it's easy to think about people in our peer groups. We want to try to get along a little bit better. But very rarely do we think cross-generationally whenever we read something like that. Honestly, this week is one of the first times that I've read that scripture and thought, wow, whenever we dwell in unity cross-generationally, not just the older people are on the same page or the young adults are on the same page together or the teenagers or the kids, but truly all of us in Christ, dwelling together in unity. Because I've heard Pastor Zach Backus say a lot that there is no junior Holy Spirit. Everybody's got the same Holy Spirit. Everybody's got the same Jesus Christ. Everybody's got the same 
Father God in heaven. Every one of us, we, we're at the same level. We're on the same playing field whenever it comes to God. So there is no distinction between, just like the word talks about, there's no distinction between male and female, Jew or Gentile. There's no distinction in God's eyes generationally even. We've got the same Holy Spirit working in us, and he wants to bring unity and see what can happen in unity in that. And whenever we think about generational unity as a church, I'm telling you, it liberates us from all of the petty issues that can distract us from kingdom work. Because I'll tell you this, whenever you get a bunch of people that are not thinking generationally, that aren't thinking about what God's doing in the next crop of people who are coming up, that's whenever we start fighting over the color of the carpet. That's when we start having issues about, oh, well, the coffee, the coffee shop has a new paint color in it now, and that becomes a big deal. But, oh my gosh, whenever you're only thinking about people in your generation, then all of those little things kind of add up and become a big issue. But whenever you're thinking about the next generation of people who are coming up and what kind of God they're going to be serving and what kind of testimony they're going to have and take into their schools, then all of these other little things become non-issues. Those things are easy to deal with whenever we have minds and hearts that are set on the next generation and seeing what God can do with that. So this thinking in a generational way, thinking about generational unity, it liberates us and it frees us from getting stuck in the small little details that really 10, 20, 50 years from now are not going to matter. Because whenever you start to ask your, yourself the question, what's going to matter in this church 50 years from now? The colors of these chairs aren't a big deal. When, when I first came here, we had an issue with the pink chairs. I'm like, man, these chairs are pink. They just look crazy. You know, we put a gray coat of paint on the walls, and now the pink is awesome. It looks great. You know, it, it, it's a non-issue. It's not a big deal. So think to yourself, what's going to matter in 50 years? And these little things that, that feel like a big issue in the moment, it's not an issue at all. So I was thinking, I was praying about a story from Scripture. I like to, I like to share stories uh, in particular. What story from Scripture would be a good illustration about generational unity and how God wants to weave generations together to accomplish his purposes. And there are so many different options in the Bible. There's so many different um, stories that could be told where God's heart is shown in this matter. But I want to talk about the story of Esther. Quick show of hands. Raise your hands if you've never heard the story of Esther before. Okay, good. Thank you. Appreciate the honesty. Good. Okay, so some have, some haven't. So I'm going to do just a quick, brief overview of what the story of Esther is like, and then we're going to get into how God shows that he cares about using generations together in this story. So in the story of Esther, we've got a few major characters that I kind of want to bring up. The first guy um, is a man named King Xerxes, okay? So King Xerxes is this very, very powerful king who likes to do whatever he wants to do, and he kind of can because he's the king. He's the king of Persia. He's got a lot of power. He's having a huge party with his friends, which, by the way, I just want to tell you this now. The book of Esther, this story, is like a biblical soap opera, okay? There's a lot of 
drinking. There's a lot of murder plots and murder. There's romance. There's intrigue. It's a pretty crazy story. So if you like soap operas, read Esther. So anyway, uh, this first powerful king, Xerxes, he can pretty much do whatever he wants to. He's having a party with his friends, and he says, hey, guess what, friends? I have a very beautiful wife. Would you like to see her? And they're all like, yeah. And so he sends for his wife to come in, and she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm good where I am. And so King Xerxes, because he has power, he can do it every once. He says, I don't want you to be queen anymore. So he holds a beauty pageant to find a new queen. He summons people. Not only this, he's got a lot of power. King Xerxes sends out a, a decree to the whole uh, empire that says, women better start listening to their husbands better. Pretty much that's what he said. And he had it translated to every different language as well in the, in the empire. He made sure to get this message across. And then he holds a beauty pageant to find himself a new queen because he's the king and he can do that sort of thing. So that's kind of, that's Xerxes. He's one of those guys, has a lot of power, can and will do whatever he wants to do. That's Xerxes. Okay, so anyway, he holds this beauty pageant. Which brings in another character. Sorry, I'm going out of order here, Jarrett. I appreciate you. Uh, Esther, okay? So another one of our characters is Esther, whom the story is named after. She is a very, very beautiful person. She is also a Jew. She's a part of God's chosen people. And so she is so beautiful that she wins this beauty contest and gets to go be the queen, okay? So Xerxes likes her. She's now the queen, Everything's looking good for Esther in that regard. Okay, now Esther has a cousin. Please, if I'm moving too fast, you can slow me down. Many of you said that you know the story, so I'm just setting these up quickly. Esther has a cousin named Mordecai. Okay, so Mordecai is also a Jew, obviously, and he's kind of like an uncle, actually. He's technically her cousin, but he's older. So he knows the Torah, he knows the stories of God and has taught Esther and brought her up almost like a dad. Uh, he practically raised her. And so cousin Mordecai uh, has kind of looked after Esther as she's grown up. And, and a little fun fact about Mordecai, one time Mordecai was standing outside the palace and he heard two guys plotting to kill King Xerxes, who we talked about earlier. So he snitched on these guys. He told Esther, hey, Somebody's trying to kill the king, tell the king, don't let it happen, and that happens. So Esther goes and tells, and the king's life is saved, and he's very thankful, and it was recorded in the king's book. So Mordecai's kind of a hero, also raised Esther. Are we still good? Are we tracking? Okay, we got everybody so far. Uh, so another character that we have is a guy named Haman. He's the bad guy in the story. He's a very bad guy. So Haman is one of the king's advisors who the king kind of actually likes and promotes a little bit. And uh, Haman gets this thing where as he's walking into the castle, everybody bows down to him and like praises him like he's something really special. And going back to cousin Mordecai, Mordecai's like, I have a God and I'm not going to bow down to Haman. I'm not going to praise this guy. So he's not going to kneel before Haman as he goes into the castle. Haman does not like this because he's a bad guy. So Haman is very upset at Mordecai and everyone like Mordecai. I'm, I know I'm moving fast. Is, are we still good? Okay. So Haman suggests to King Xerxes, who remember can do, he does whatever he wants. He suggests to King Xerxes, hey, 
you should make this law where on a certain day of the year, everyone can kill Jews and these people of God. Because he knew that Mordecai was a Jew. He knew that Mordecai uh, was faithful to this God. And he didn't like Mordecai. Therefore, he didn't like anyone who was like Mordecai. And so he suggests this to Xerxes. And Xerxes, being the king that he is, says, yeah, sure, I'll make that decree. On this certain day, anyone is free to kill Jews. Okay, so now we go back to Mordecai. Mordecai is very upset about this, naturally. Mordecai does not like the fact that the king has made this decree. He goes to Esther and he says, Esther, you are in good with the king. You've got to talk to him. Tell him that this can't happen. We've got to go to the king and reason with him. And Esther comes back to Mordecai, who raised her, who helped her throughout her entire life. And she says, you know that if you go to the king without being asked, he can kill you. Because remember, Xerxes is one of those guys that does whatever he wants to do. And you can't just walk in unannounced to the king, even if you're the queen. You can't just do that. And so Esther realizes, if I go to talk to him about this without being summoned, then I could die. This could be foiled completely Just a terrible thing, not just for the rest of the Jews out there, but also for myself. So this is the predicament that we're in. And I want us to read uh, here. We're kind of at the very climax of this story. And it's in Esther chapter 4. So at the climax of this story, Mordecai has sent word to Esther to say, you've got to help us out. You're in a position. You, You need to talk to the king. And Esther has responded to Mordecai and said, that could get me killed. That truly could get me killed. And so this is the interaction that goes on between them. I'm starting in Esther chapter 4 in verse 13. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I want to pause there. Mordecai, in this moment, he tells Esther, you might have come to this kingdom for this specific time, this specific moment. And he reminds her, he gives her this reminder of of God's promise that, you know, you're not necessarily going to be safe in the palace. It's not necessarily going to exempt you from this decree that Xerxes has put out. Don't think that you're going to be safe just because you're in the palace. And he reminds her. He brings wisdom and some grounding to the situation. And so what I want to say as we move on here, that I'm going to start referring to the older generation as Mordecai. Because Mordecai is representing what we get from the older generation. He's speaking wisdom. He's speaking reason into Esther right now. She's saying this might not work, and he's saying don't think that you're going to be exempt just because you're in the palace. Don't think that that's going to keep you out of harm's way. And the wisdom from an older generation who's here to teach a younger generation, it's, it's exemplified in Mordecai. And so this is what Esther says. 
in chapter or in verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Now, I'm not going to go into the rest of the story. You can go read it if you're interested in a biblical soap opera. But I'll just spoil it a little bit. It ended up good for the Jews. Okay, it worked out. Haman goes down. Uh, Mordecai gets exalted. Esther gets exalted. King Xerxes is still King Xerxes, but at least Haman died. So, uh, but things end up good for him. But what I want to talk about here is that generational unity and how powerful that can be is shown through Mordecai and Esther. Because I want to present to you tonight that this older generation needs to take the spot of Mordecai. And a younger generation can and needs to take the spot of Esther. Y'all are my Esthers over here, okay? Y'all cool with being Esthers? Good. And a couple of y'all over here too are Esthers. But for the most part, y'all are my Mordecais over here, okay? Can I get an amen from the Mordecais? Okay, good. You're still alive. Just barely though. Okay, I'm not going to make any more jokes like that. That was, that was mean. Okay, I'm a Mordecai too, all right? And an Esther. Anyway. What Mordecai brings to this situation is wisdom that Esther would not have had otherwise. For all of Esther's life, Mordecai is raising her up in the teachings of the Lord, telling her about testimonies from the past of what God has done and who God is and how God can and will deliver his people. And Esther needs to be reminded of that in this moment. And what Esther brings to Mordecai is the favor that Mordecai never would have had in the king's palace. Esther was in a position to where she could actually change and do something in this. Mordecai just by himself could have gotten nothing accomplished. Mordecai by himself in this story is powerless and he's useless. Esther by herself in this story is powerless because by herself, Esther thought, man, this is really bad for all these other Jews but I've attained, I've attained a really good spot in the king's kingdom and in the palace, and I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be comfortable over here. I'm going to be fine. And so by herself, Esther does not save the day. And by himself, Mordecai doesn't save the day. Because even though he knows what's right and what should be done, he cannot see that happen until he connects with the next generation. What I'm trying to say here is that both generations have something to offer and something powerful to bring to the table to where we don't see God move in powerful ways until we connect those things together. Esther is useless without Mordecai. Mordecai is useless without Esther. And so what, what I want to talk about for the rest of the night is what we can do as a Mordecai to cultivate generational unity. And what we can do as Esthers to cultivate generational unity. Do you want unity tonight? Do you want to see what God can do and what the kingdom here in Boswell, Oklahoma and in the surrounding other area, what the kingdom can look like here if we partner together? Does anybody else want to see that? Man, I want to see it. Because I think a lot of people have been praying. Pray, I've heard a lot of people praying about 
Boswell School, the public school here. Just about a revival and, and God doing a work in that school. You know, we could have all the Mordecais in the world with great ideas for what God can do in that school, but without these Esthers, we're not going to see it happen. And these Esthers over here can have a lot of vision and a lot of heart and a lot of great ideas about what God can do in your school, but without the wisdom of a Mordecai as you do it, it's not going to look very great. So can I get an amen that tonight, moving forward, the, the passions, the goals, the visions that God puts in our hearts for what the kingdom can look like and what kingdom work can be done in this area, we need to be praying about the Mordecais in our lives that we need to see that, the Esthers that we need in our lives to be able to see that, because God doesn't want to leave us alone in this kind of journey. God doesn't want you to do it by yourself. God doesn't want you to just go at it alone. He speaks a blessing and commands a blessing in unity. And God wants to use the younger generation to attain places of favor, to get into places that we wouldn't be able to get into by ourselves, to use imagination. In the rest of this story, Esther comes up with a, an amazing plan on how she actually accomplishes this goal. She doesn't just go straight to Xerxes and say, hey, please help the Jews. She, she uses her imagination and she finds a way to do it that's actually really powerful and kind of brings Haman's destruction, which is awesome. But God wants to use both of these parts together. So, so who I want to talk to you about first, I want to talk to the Mordecais, okay? Raise your hand if you're a Mordecai. <laughs> Self-proclaimed. I, I, that's good. Refuse to be Mordecais, some of you. You can be a Mordecai and an Esther, okay? You, you can be a little bit of both, all right? But I want to talk to the Mordecais first about what does the next generation need from you if we're going to speak to unity, okay? Because this is our practical stuff here. This is the life 1.0 part of it, okay? This is not the theory part, but this is what can I do today? What can I do right now to try to sow to generational unity, and so the first thing, what the Mordecais need to give, the Mordecais need to give of time. Okay, that's the first thing. The first practical thing is just to make yourself available to people in the next generation. Knowing that you have something to offer, knowing that you have wisdom and experience and insight that isn't going to be downloaded to someone else unless they have the time with you to receive it. And what I want to encourage you in tonight is that even a little step in this direction is powerful and can do something. This doesn't mean that you have to start a big discipleship program and have people over at your house. And it doesn't mean that you need to be doing hours and hours a week with people from the younger generation. This can mean coming to church a little bit early and just being available for conversation with some of the young people in this church. This could mean just coming and praying over the youth room whenever you know that they're going to have service in there that night. Uh, just devoting some time, some little bit of extra time. I want you to pray about that. God, how can I use my time to sow to generational unity? The next thing, and this is a really powerful one, I believe, that Mordecai's can give to generational unity is trust. This is a difficult one right here. Time may be a little bit easier, but to trust the next generation. 
Mordecai, what's really cool, in verse 17 it says, Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. When's the last time you went and did something that a youngin told you to do? (laughs) How much humility does it take from a Mordecai to be giving wisdom and giving insight and giving encouragement to the younger generation, and then whenever they have an idea, you go and do what they ordered you to do. That takes some trust. Mordecai had to trust that Esther had a plan, that he was going to go and pray and fast and believe for what God put in her heart to do and how she was going to do it. He had to trust her. And I just want to say I'm so I'm proud to be involved in this ministry. Proud to be involved in this ministry. Because if you've ever looked back at our sound booth, you've seen some Esthers, haven't you? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> if you're watching this right now online, I just want you to know that pretty much anyone who's ever running the camera is not over 18 years old. So you're being blessed by some Esthers around the world. If you've gone to our kids' ministry, you've probably seen some teenagers who are sowing into the younger generation even there. I think there's not, there aren't many parts of this ministry that people like Pastor Craig and Pastor Dwayne, the leadership of our church, have offered and opened up their hands and their hearts to trust the next generation. Because it's very easy to complain, man, these young kids, they don't take responsibility. Have you all ever heard that before? And they just don't take responsibility. And hey, you should take responsibility, okay? So I'm not undermining anything. But it's easy to say that the next generation should take responsibility, but a little bit more difficult to give them the trust that they will take responsibility. It's a little bit more difficult to open up our hearts to trust them with something that, that God can do in them and through them. So we, we need to continue as Mordecai's to trust And we're going to continue to do that. It's not just in the sound booth. It's not just in the kids' ministry. We're going to trust the younger people, a younger generation, to do more ministry. The reason why I'm standing before you right now is because at a young age, as a high schooler, someone trusted me to be able to minister the gospel. And it didn't look very good. It was difficult. You know, I'm not saying that I did a great job at it, but someone trusted me to do it. So we're, we're going to, to trust more, we Mordecais. And the third one I want to say is truth. What Mordecais can give to Esther. Mordecai did not hold back the truth from Esther. He told her pretty straight, don't think that you're going to be saved from this wrath. Don't think that because you're in the palace that you're good brings the truth. Jesus' words are truth. And as, as an Esther, I'm telling you right now, I need this. Because it's very easy to be swayed back and forth by this good idea or that good idea over there or not wanting to hurt someone's feelings or this or that or whatever. But what I need from the next generation is truth. Sometimes truth that I don't want to hear or I'm not ready for, but I need So as a Mordecai, you can give that to the next generation. Can you do that? I believe you can. Okay, so now I'm going to talk to the Esthers and some of the Esthers over here as well. 
So what does the Esther give to the Mordecai for in this situation? Or what can an Esther give to contribute to generational unity? I'm just going to tell you right now, the first one, it's the same as the first one. Time. Time, because this is a two-way street. If you've got somebody that's older who's wanting to pour out into you, who's wanting to give of their time and effort to you, you've got to open your heart to spend time with them as well. Okay, that's a two-way street. We've got to be able to show up for one another. We've got to be able to invest that time. The second one, it's also the same. Trust. So Esther's, what you can give to the next generation is to trust them. If Esther didn't trust Mordecai that what he was saying was true, that he was actually speaking wisdom and life and insight into her life, then she would have gone nowhere. You've got some amazing ideas. You've got some amazing things that God wants to birth in you to do. And along the way, as you're doing that ministry, you have to trust the next generation to know that they're speaking wisdom into your life. Okay, so we got to trust. And the last one, spoiler alert, it's the same as well, okay? This one's also truth. The older generation needs to see, even right now, you can mess up, you can have issues, you can have problems, but if you're committed to God's truth, then a Mordecai can work with that. If you're committed to God's truth and, and open in your heart to want to hear what God has to say, even if it stings a little bit, even if it's different than what your first thought was, if you're open to God's truth, then we can have generational unity that God can really do something powerful with. And the last thing I want to share, this is for, for both, this is across the board. As soon as Pastor Craig told me that he wanted me to talk about the next generation, this came to mind, this verse. And so this, I've been praying about this for the past month and a half. And whenever I think about generational unity, so many times you, you hear things from, from the older generation that's like, man, if they would just line up, if they would just do what's right, it seems like righteousness is what we're wanting to see. We want to see God's righteousness in the next generation. Does anybody want to see a righteous generation be coming up out of Boswell, Oklahoma? I want to see that. I want that for my daughter over here. I, I, she can mess up. We can mess up. We can fail and fall in different areas. But man, to be pursuing God's righteousness and to see righteousness come up would just be such a gift. That's, that's what I want. And so this specific verse has come up uh, from the book of James, James 3.18. And I just haven't been able to get it off of my mind. It says that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So many people in an older generation, it seems like they want to see righteousness come up. And the way that they try to get that righteousness is harsher rules and more condescension and fill in the blank. But the way that God's righteousness comes, the, the word says that the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Our wrath, our criticisms, our weights that we try to put on people, that doesn't bring the righteousness of God, but a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So maybe today you're just sowing a seed. 
Maybe all you're doing is sowing. And maybe you don't see the harvest just yet, but if you sow that seed in peace, making peace with the next generation, not criticizing, but welcoming in, trusting, giving of your time, giving the Lord's truth, sowing that in peace is going to bring a harvest of righteousness, and I promise you that. And the same is true for you. Sow right now whenever you're young. Sow to peace. Don't say, oh, they're just, they don't understand me. They're old. They, they haven't been through this experience before. I promise you, they've been through this experience. They know what you've seen. They know what you're going through. Maybe not in the exact way that you're going through it right now, but the older people in your life who care about you, they know what you need. They know what you're going through. And so right now as you're young to righteousness, even in those relationships, if you know somebody's reaching out to you to be a mentor, so to peace, so in peace to righteousness. And then whenever you're older, whenever you become the Mordecai that's looking to sow into the next generation, you've got a harvest of righteousness in your life that you can speak from. So I want us to sow to a harvest of righteousness, which is in peace by those who make peace. And I don't want that to be this fluffy, everybody love everybody kind of thing, because that doesn't, it doesn't always look like a let's give everybody a bear hug. It's not that kind of thing. But every single day, whenever you're giving of your time and of your trust and committing yourself to truth, no matter how old you are, no matter if you're a Mordecai or an Esther, if you can commit those things to this other generation, this older or younger generation, then I, we, I believe that we're going to see a harvest of righteousness in this church, in this community, and in our entire world. God can touch people through this. It's a powerful thing. We underestimate the power of unity. So I want to pray. And then what I want to do, I'll tell you after we pray. Let's pray first, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you, God, for sowing to a harvest of righteousness in our lives. God, thank you that you made peace with us. Even whenever we have sown destruction, Lord, we've, we've given you so much death, so much hurt, so much pain we've sowed to. But Lord, you sowed, you sowed seeds of peace into our hearts. Lord, I thank you that we'll see your righteousness. Thank you, Lord, that you command a blessing in unity. Thank you, Father, that this is going to be a church of unity, generational unity. No matter how old, no matter how young, God, there's a place for us in your kingdom. And Lord, we commit ourselves right now to making a place for people at this church, no matter how old or young they are. No matter what generation they find themselves in, Lord, we in humility say that we can't do it ourselves. We can't do any of your kingdom work without you and your spirit in us. And Lord, we humble ourselves even to our brothers and sisters and say that we can't see the fullness of your kingdom work without each other. And so God, I thank you for a harvest of righteousness coming into this place as we sow to peace with the next generation. Thank you for your goodness coming here on earth 
as it is in heaven. We open up our hearts to it. In Jesus' name, amen.